This podcast is a compilation of four of John Wesley's sermons focused on the topic of spiritual disciplines, Part A. We will begin with his sermon number 24, entitled The Sermon on the Mount, Part 4. The scripture for our sermon today, Sermon on the Mount, Part 4, is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The beauty of inward holiness is very appealing to all who are spiritually awakened. So some may ask, why bother with outward action? Why not withdraw from the world and focus on the inner life? But to do away with good works is a clever scheme of Satan to lead us astray. For we are to be salt and light to the world. Therefore, let your light shine before others. Christianity is a social religion. While it is acknowledged that short periods of withdrawal for meditation are necessary, Not all of our time should be separated from the world. For meekness requires engagement with people, and peacemaking requires contact with people. Therefore, some contact with sinners is certainly expected. Association with the world is necessary to build humility, mercy, and Christian character, including suffering for righteousness' sake. You are the salt that seasons all around you. You can influence many for good. But tasteless salt is useless, and fruitless branches are broken off. So do not fall away from Christ's teaching through neglect of good works. Genuine Christianity cannot be hidden. But some may ask, can we minister to others secretly? It is impossible. For you are light in a dark world. It is true that many will oppose your light, but you cannot hide it. In fact, it is God's plan that you share your light with others. The light must shine as a witness to your faith. The light of the gospel creates more light as it spreads. But beware that Satan tries to put out the light and delights in those who try to hide it. Here are answers to some of the objections. All inward religion of the heart must lead to outward obedience. Real love compels us to obey the commandments. Pursue love, but also strive for the spiritual gifts. To worship God in spirit and truth includes keeping outward commandments. Outward good works are not a distraction to our soul. Add good works and all the means of grace to inward religion, and you will advance in holiness and avoid works righteousness. 
We are to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, no matter what their ultimate fate is. Perhaps our kindness will lead them to God. And humbly do what God commands you to do, and leave the result to Him. In closing, let your godly character shine before others. Put your good works on a lampstand for all to see, and be sure to give God the glory. So go forth in God's name, be a good steward of every gift, full of faith and love, excelling in all good works. Next is Wesley's sermon, number 26, entitled, The Sermon on the Mount, Part 6. So the text for our uh, Wesley sermon, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, today is from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 15. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father, knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew's chapter 5 is about religion of the heart. In chapter 6, it is about the right intentions. And so for clarity, works of piety will refer to acts of devotion to God, while works of charity and mercy will refer to good deeds done for others. Beware of doing mercy to be seen by others. Do not do acts of mercy for the sole purpose of human praise, but rather seek God's praise, not man's. Give as secretly and quietly as possible, and God will reward you in his way. Guard against hypocrisy and insincerity in prayer. Do not expect material gain from prayer and pray secretly when possible. Do not babble on in prayer, for empty length 
is worthless. And pray not to manipulate God, but rather to clarify your needs. Now, regarding the Lord's Prayer, it is a model prayer for us. It contains everything we need and should want in this life. It contains three parts, a preface, petitions, and ends with a doxology. And now Wesley will explain the meaning behind each phrase. Our Father, God loves his children whom he created and daily sustains. God is Father of all humankind, not just Christians. The phrase in heaven, God is Lord and ruler over all, carefully watching from above. Hallowed be your name. His name is Yahweh. May everyone honor and love him. Your kingdom come. We long for God to come and establish his reign on earth, beginning in our hearts and ultimately renewing the whole world. Your will be done. We desire active and willing conformity to God's will. Eventually, all humankind will completely perform God's perfect will on earth. Give us this day our bread. God will provide everything needed for life and godliness. Give us. This reminds us of our total dependence on God daily, not worrying about tomorrow. Forgive us our debts. God removes hindrances so we can be open to God's blessings, our trespasses. All our sins are immense and numberless. Forgive us. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are freed from sin and guilt. As we forgive others, God's forgiveness is conditional on our willingness to forgive others. Do not bring us into temptation. God makes a way to escape from Satan's temptings. For your kingdom and power and glory are forever. We thank you and praise you for your eternal kingdom that shall reign forever. Next is Wesley's Sermon, number 27, entitled, The Sermon on the Mount, Part 7. Scripture text for the Sermon on the Mount, Part 7, is taken from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Inward religion must not be separated from outward religion. 
Nevertheless, many have cut off faith from good works. Still others have separated the means from the ends. For example, attending worship but ignoring the love of God and neighbor. It is no wonder that many have given up on fasting as a spiritual discipline. There are different kinds of fasting. The common biblical understanding of fasting is to abstain from food. Outward appearances of distress when fasting are vain. The common length of fasting is from morning to evening. There is a partial fasting where people eat less. Some abstain from pleasing food. The Old Testament youth Daniel is an example. There are also special fast days. There are many reasons for fasting. Extreme grief, sorrow, and distress can lead to fasting. Many fast over extreme remorse for sin. Some abstain from strong drink and excessive eating. Some fast to lessen bodily desires and lust. Others fast as punishment for past excesses and abuse of blessings. Fasting helps us pray and increase our love for God. Fasting can help avert God's wrath. The Ninevites prayed and fasted to turn away God's destruction. Some fast to obtain needed blessings from God. The apostles fasted for special undertakings to increase their faith. God has appointed fasting. Jesus expected it and said God will reward it. Here are some answers to common objections. Well, let's abstain from sin, not food. I answer, abstain from both. Let us abstain from pride and anger, not food. Again, abstain from both. Fasting was of no benefit to us. Well, try fasting differently. Fasting is insignificant. Jesus and his disciples did it. Well, then let's continuously fast all the time. That is not biblical. We should fast in moderation and observe special fasts as you can. How should Christians fast? Fast with a focus on God and things above. Beware of self-righteousness. We cannot gain any merit or manipulate God with fasting. Do not harm your health with fasting. Humble your souls with sorrow over sin and repentance. Combine fasting with prayer. Add acts of mercy to fasting. Is not this the fast that I choose, to break the bonds of injustice? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Next is Wesley's sermon, number 16, entitled, The Means of Grace. Our text for today's message on the means of grace is found in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 7. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Using the means of grace was common in the early church. 
Later, many overemphasized the outward acts and neglected the inward change of the heart. Some even abused the means by denying that any grace was given. Still others stressed the inward grace, but downplayed the outward act, leading many more to abandon the means of grace altogether. The idea of giving up on the means of grace has spread widely throughout the church, even to this day. By the means of grace, I mean the outward symbols, words, and actions that God ordained to be the ordinary channels of conveying his prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace to our souls. The most important means being prayer, Bible study, and the Lord's Supper. Be aware that if these means do not help us advance God's love, then they are worthless. For our sovereign God does not need them, but he chooses to bless us through their regular use. And understand that using the means of grace will not save us, for only Christ's atoning blood can do that. Furthermore, there is no merit given to us for using the means. Faith alone saves us. But what about those who are not yet saved? Shall they use the means while waiting for salvation? The Bible clearly instructs that all who desire the grace of God should use all the means available, particularly prayer. For if we ask in prayer, we shall receive the Holy Spirit. The Lord wants us to pray and not lose heart. From Jesus' parables, we see that he wants us to pray persistently. Also, when we pray in secret, God will reward us. Prayer is for everyone, including the believer and the seeker. Another important means is studying the Bible. This will lead us to true wisdom. And do not neglect the Old Testament, for it too is profitable for all readers, including the unsaved. And lastly, partake of the Lord's Supper. But be sure to examine yourselves first. The Lord's Supper is a standard, clear way of receiving the grace of God. Let's take a look at some of the objections to using the means of grace. For some say, we will put our trust in the means for salvation. No, salvation is by faith in Christ alone. But using the means is works righteousness. No, the means are God's ordinary way to bless his children. Well, the only means is Christ. No, Christ is the cause of this grace. Well, the Bible says we are to wait on God and do nothing else. No. It says to wait and observe his commands. The Bible says stand firm and nothing else. No. It says stand firm and obey his commands. Why submit to regulations? We're free. 
the Apostle Paul was speaking of the Jewish law, not the means of grace. There is a typical pattern of using the means of grace to come to faith in Christ. It begins with an awareness of sin, searching the scripture, praying for help, and partaking of the Lord's Supper, all moving the seeker closer to faith. We believers can help support the unsaved through this process. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, use all the means that God offers. In conclusion, God can use the means of grace or not to give us his grace. The means have no merit or power of their own. They are only helps to renew your soul. Pride will make the means worthless. So humble yourselves and give God all your praise.